There's uh, very few positions in life that have the power and influence of a mom. Moms have been attributed to the makings of kings, presidents, soldiers, pastors, teachers, missionaries, thinkers. Moms have been attributed to the equipping of all of those. So I've been somewhat saddened and surprised by the cultural backlash on mothering. As I was kind of sifting through the gutter of social media, I found this quote that I really liked. It says this, A mother's love for her child is like nothing else in the world. It it knows no laws, no pity, It dates before all things and crushes down remorselessly all that stands in its path. I love that. The love of a mom. The love of a mom is like nothing else in the world that knows no laws, has no pity, predates all things, crushes remorselessly all that stands in its path. And I was reading that quote and I thought, man, that reminds me of something I was reminded of the passage where Paul talks about the love of God. In 1 Corinthians, he he writes this. He said, love is patient. Talking about the love of God. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. The love of God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The love of God never fails. I was thinking, man, you know what? I think there's a lot of similarities between the love of a mom and the love of God. I think that's on purpose. And moms, I just want you to know, I believe that you have been given this God-given position an empowerment to be a reflection of what I believe is the greatest characteristic of God that drove him to pursue his sinful creation to restore them to a right relationship. That characteristic, that love of God is most prominently seen in you, a role of a mom. And so I want to, before we continue in our service, ask all of our moms, all of our grandmoms, all of our great-grandmoms, all of our stepmoms, all of our soccer moms, whatever form of mom, would you please stand so that we can honor you and pray a blessing of God over you? And please remain standing. I know y'all hate it. I know, Brenda, it's horrible. This will be one of my faster prayers, I hope. God, many of us are here this morning cognizant and recognizing the fact of how you have used moms throughout culture and more importantly in our hearts and our lives. So God, as a church, we lift these ladies before you and first, God, we thank you for them for the way that you've used them, for the power that you've given them, and the role that they fulfill in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, in our culture. God, we thank you for each and every one of them. 
God, we pray that today you would just bless them this day above all days. God, may you bless them with a peace that is beyond human comprehension. May you bless them with a joy that is overflowing. May you give them a a day of rest from the tireless work that a mom has. God, may you give them joy as they celebrate what you have given. And God, we pray that you would give them power anew today as they move forward in their roles that they might even more clearly and more powerfully demonstrate and reflect the love of God to all that they come in contact with. God, we lift them to you this day and ask God that you bless them in ways that only you can. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. So I want to ask you, as we're going into Acts, have you ever been surrounded by the power of God in a way that you couldn't explain? I mean, has God ever done something in your life, in your heart, that you, you just can't explain how or why that happened? Have you ever been a part of a church where God is moving in such a way that you just have no no comprehension of how he's doing it, why he's doing it. See, I think that's how God works. And I think that's how God's done things from the beginning of time. I can picture the people in Egypt as frogs are taking over the town or boils are consuming their body or hail is falling from the sky asking Pharaoh, what's going on? I can imagine the people of Israel as God was walking them through the desert as manna was falling from heaven to feed them or as the ground was opening up to judge their sin and swallow them. I can imagine people asking Moses, Moses, what's going on? I can imagine the time of the judges where God would use these broken people to do incredible works of renewal. I can imagine people asking What's going on? Jesus walked this earth. He would teach in a way that people would walk a hundred miles just for the chance to hear him. He He would have this life of power that people could just touch the bottom of his clothing and they'd be healed. Jesus had this ability that he could just speak peace into a person's soul. Just a few words, you're forgiven. I can imagine as Jesus walked this earth, people asking, what is going on? I wonder, have you experienced the power of God in your life in a way that it caused you to ask, what's going on? Or maybe you've experienced the power of God in your life so much that a loved one, a friend, a spouse, a child a parent, asks you, what's going on? And if someone did ask you what's going on, what would you say? That's the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written to answer that question that was filling culture and more personally filling the mind of Theophilus, a young politician 
That after 30 years after the birth or the, the birth of the church, the work of God after the ascension of Jesus, this movement's taking over. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people are asking, what's going on? And the book of Acts is written to answer that question for a man named Theophilus, centuries and centuries before us, and for you still today. The book of Acts began with a promise of power found in Acts 1.8, where before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said these, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth that all began with a promise of power. This movement is not based on politics, finances, human power. It's based in the power of God that empowers people to be his witnesses. And that was Seen even more clearly last week when we went into the coming of power, when that power came on that celebration of Pentecost. And it came in a powerful and personal way. You remember that? 120 believers in this room. Then the presence of God suddenly appeared in this deafening sound and a pillar of fire as he had appeared before, but then it broke up and divided itself into equal pieces. And landed on each person equally to make sure they all understood they were loved by God equally. And they were empowered by God equally. Peter didn't get more. The newest disciple, Matthias, he didn't get less. Men didn't get a bigger portion than the women. Everybody were personally empowered by the power of God, the spirit of God where they would know that they were loved and they were empowered to be used. If you remember how it ended last week, after the sound and everyone gifted with tongues, they burst out into the courtyard. If you remember on Pentecost, there was a celebration where people of God from all over the area, 100, 200 miles, 500 miles, 1,000 miles would come to celebrate the God of the harvest and to pray that God would bless them as they go back to harvest their fields. Temple courts were filled with people. And as Pentecost occurred, and as all this started to happen, here's how we ended. Chapter 2, verse 12. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, you can join me there. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. We ended here. And they all, all the people in the courtyard, continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? What's going on? What's happening? I mean, they're an entire city where people from other regions crowding into this area, they're seeing the power of God poured out in a way unimaginable, and they're asking, what's going on? What's happening? And that's the setting for what I call the proclamation of power, where the apostle Peter, of all people, came and answered the question, that I believe people have been asking 
for generations since. As we witness the power of God, that question that fills our mind, what's happening, is answered here. And like I said, it begins, of all people with Peter, look how it begins, verse 14 Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. That term declared, by the way, means to speak with power, to utter something with authority. I mean, Peter, that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit entered Peter, something changed. This is Peter who would always speak out of turn who would always get into trouble. This is Peter who proclaimed his courage before Jesus. I will die for you. Who then responded with the greatest cowardice found in scripture, denying his savior three times. But after Pentecost, there's something different, changed new in Peter. With all of question, with all of culture asking a question that I believe culture is still asking today, what's going on? Peter stands up and declares with authority and boldness. He says this, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. First thing Peter does is he rises up before the people to give them a powerful reminder. As people are saying, what's going on? What's happening? Peter begins with a reminder. He says, hey, these people aren't drunk. It's too early to get drunk. For most people, evidently not Johnny Depp, everyone else is like, this is way too early. They're not drunk. There's something else at work here. You want to know what's happening? Peter says, I want to give you a powerful reminder. First, let's remember the promise of God. He goes to the prophet Joel, a prophecy that these people would know if they were a follower of God. He would read this passage throughout the year. Listen to the prophecy of Joel, verse 17. Portia says this, and it shall be in the last days, God says. The last days, people at this time would understand the beginning of the last days is the coming of the Messiah The last days, the coming of the Messiah, where God would accomplish something powerful. Look what he says. And it shall be in the last days, the days that begin with the Messiah, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Pour forth, fully give himself. God will empty himself on all of mankind. He will not hold back. It will be amazing. It will be perplexing. What would you expect? If the God of all creation who can build everything out of nothing with mere spoken words, if he then emptied himself on the world to fill up 120 people with his power, Peter's saying, you want to know what's going on? This is not alcohol. This is what God has promised to do. I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And look, 
And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. Peter says, you want to know what's happening? This is the day we've been praying for. It may have been over 400 years since Joel wrote this. People were praying for it, longing for it, waiting for it, needing it. Wondering what it would be like. What do you think it would be like if the fullness of God emptied himself? And look how he did it. It's not just to the special. God isn't just going after the super gifted and the gate kids. He's going over after everyone, sons and daughters. Young men, old men, and even bond slaves. Even servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. Like this is a generous flooding of his presence on the people of God. Not just the special, not just the authors, not just the televangelists. Everybody, equally. Peter says, don't you remember? This is the promise of God. Remember the promise. Man, we get so easy, even for us, we just go through life. We get so distracted by the busyness of life and the hurdles we see before us that we forget. But the promise of God, Peter says, you got to remember. You want to know what's happening first. You got to remember the promise of God that he had told us he was going to do something like this. What do you think it would look like? But he goes on, he says, don't just remember the promise, remember the purpose. There's going to be a whole lot of P words today. Remember the promise, then remember the purpose. After all that, pouring off, pouring forth of his spirit, look how verse 18 ends, and they shall prophesy. Man, as a result of pouring forth of my spirit on his people, they will know me more intimately. They'll be empowered to talk to people about who I am and my desires for their life. Man, this is not just some sort of blessing you receive. Peter says, you got to remember the promise of God and the purpose of God. His whole purpose of bringing the spirit was that you would know him more personally and be able to proclaim him more powerfully. But he says, don't just remember the promise and the purpose. Remember the plan. Like, why? Why is us proclaiming? Why is us knowing God and telling other people about God? Why is that so important? Verse 19 I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, you got to remember the promise of God, the pour forth his spirit, the, the plan of God. The purpose of it is to empower us to be his witnesses and then the plan. Because God's coming back that great day of the Lord. 
was clearly understood by people to be the day of reckoning. It was a day where people would answer to the Lord God, the master of all things. It was a day of judgment. It will be a day of judgment for those who have not submitted their lives before the Lord and a day of salvation for those who have. Man, as all cultures coming around him, they're asking, what's happening? Peter stands up and he says, hey, We've been so worried about the struggles of Rome, the financial struggles of home. We've been so worried about protecting our little thing. We have forgotten. Peter says, you need to remember the promise of God that he was going to flood his people with his power, his presence for a purpose that we would prophesy and know him more clearly and proclaim his glory. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And he will find some who have submitted their life to him and they will experience salvation. And there will be many who have not submitted their lives to Jesus and they will experience judgment. The Bible tells us God's will is that no man perish. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. The Bible tells us what some, what some see is God taking his sweet time to come back. It needs to also be understood that God is patient, slow to anger, slow to wrath. Man, it's God's heart. It's God's heart that people see him more clearly submit their lives to him they receive salvation Peter says you got to remember you want to know what's happening you need to remember the promise of God centuries and centuries before the purpose of God the purpose that he was going to empower his witnesses in the plan of God to use us to proclaim his glory so that people would be prepared for his return. I gotta ask you, I wonder if there's, that's something we need to remember today too. I don't think we're all that unique from the people of God centuries and centuries ago. We're easily distracted by the needs of today. Easily concerned about the concerns of tomorrow. We forget about the promise of God. And God has promised that He holds all things in the palm of His hand. World powers, governmental leaders, financial markets, He holds it all. We forget that God doesn't need us, but God chooses to use us for his purpose. He has empowered us to be his instrument. I think we forget what we're here for. We're not here to save the world. We're here to reflect God's glory and to point people to him. wonder, is this something that you need to remember in your life?
You remember the promise of God. You need to remember his purpose and his plan. If you need to remember that, no judgment here. You're not the first. We won't be the last. Good people who loved God needed a reminder. But Peter wasn't done preaching after that. As people were filling the courtyard asking, what's happening? What's going on? First thing Peter says, well, first you got to remember God and his plan. Man, this has always been God's plan. To do a movement like this, what do you think it would look like? Now you got to remember, this is God. He promised it. He gave you a purpose, and this is all part of the plan. I know sometimes it looks like Jesus has left and abandoned, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Peter says he does. Sometimes we just have to stop and remember. But then Peter keeps going. Not only do I want to give you a powerful reminder, Peter says, but I want to show you God hasn't just promised it all. He's completed it all. He keeps going. Look at verse 22. He says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. said, listen, God has completed his promise through Christ. Through Jesus. Like, listen, Peter's going to make this great case. First thing, through the power in Jesus' life. Again, Peter's like, what do you think it would look like? He said, you saw Jesus' miracles, wonders, and signs that God did through him. In your midst, you remember walking a hundred miles. You remember carrying your friends to the first crusades in hopes that God would heal them? You remember the burning in your heart when you heard him teach? You want evidence that God completed his plan? Look at the life of Jesus. But he continued, verse 23, because this man, this man of power, Jesus, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And the person of Christ, you see power in his life, you see power in his death. And look what Peter says, look, you didn't do that. That was predetermined and foreknowledge of God. I was all God. God did that on purpose. To save you. God is in charge of all of this. He's completing his plan. God's in charge. I know it feels like Rome's taken over. Relax. God's at work. What do you think it would look like? This isn't a battle of flesh and blood. This is a battle of spiritual powers. Powerful completion in the person of Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection. Look at verse 24. 
And just when you think everything's lost with the death of Christ, verse 24, huge biblical but right there. But God raised him up again. Just when you think Jesus is done, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter says, you want to see the way God completed his plans in Christ in his life. You see it in the way he lived, his power, in his death, that all that was orchestrated and planned by God. And then God raised him up from the dead as a sign that he can and has defeated death. And as an example of what he will do for us at his return. First thing, or second thing Peter says, I want you to see how he's completed, God's completed his plan. One, through the uh, person of Christ. But next, through the promise of Christ. And he goes after, he starts quoting King David. And if you, you got to know, in this culture, King David, that was like the glory years for Israel. King David's the greatest king ever in their eyes. He had his moments. He was flawed. But David was known as a man after God's own heart. I mean, the kingdom of Israel was at its greatest under the reign of David. In their head, King David was the greatest of all. So listen, you have to understand but the promise of Christ. Even King David pointed to him. Verse 25, for David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence. He is at my right hand, so I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter begins quoting Psalm 16 where King David is talking about this promise of the Messiah. And man, people always ask, how did King David do it? When King Saul was was chasing him down, when King Saul was chasing King David down, how how did he keep faith? When he faced Goliath, how did he do that? One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 23. Psalm that most believe King David penned near the end of his life as he was contemplating his own, mor- his own mortality, as he was just processing through where he stood. Listen to what he said about God. Listen to the confidence of this guy. He said, the Lord's my shepherd, so I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And listen to this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I got to tell you, if my GPS took me through that place, I'd go around. (laughs) Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. When I'm surrounded by enemies, look what he says, verse 5. When, you, when I'm surrounded by my enemies, you're no, you don't panic. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
It's like dinner time. It doesn't matter to you. You're not worried about them. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. You're not dependent on them. Now look how he ends it. He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And then, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You ever wonder how David had that type of confidence in his life? What did David see that we don't? What did Peter and those early disciples see that we don't? So King David, or King David had this confidence of the Messiah. He remembered God's plan, his purpose, his promise, and that he would complete it in Christ. God revealed that to David, and that just empowered this crazy life of just dependence and confidence. Man, can you imagine a church of people, even today, filled with that type of confidence? That God was going to complete everything through Jesus. It's as good as done. Every two years, Politics takes over and consumes the world and divides us all up. Not us. God has every global leader under his thumb. Stock market goes up and down. We're good. God takes care of the birds. Man, moms, I imagine there's some of you worried about your kids today. That love that God gives you. You just love your children no matter what. It doesn't mean you don't worry about them. In fact, I think so much of that love is in your heart, you worry about them all the time. And maybe you begin to think you love them more than God. That love that God gave you is from God. And he has not given up on your kids. And what if we had this confidence that God was at work? That we live in a time where the presence of God has just flooded our lives. King David had it. I believe Peter had it. Those people of the world in that time were asking, what's going on? Peter said, what do you think was going to happen when God promised this? And I want you to see how God's completed it in Jesus, in his life. And the promise of Christ that motivated and empowered David to have that type of life, and then finally in the position of Christ. Lest you think that Peter and David have gone nuts, listen to how he finishes this little sermon. Peter says, his brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he has both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Like you think David's all hot? You think he's the savior of the world? He's dead. His grave is right down the road. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead 
spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, of the Messiah, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God, or this Jesus, God raised up again, to which we were all witnesses of our having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. This is God's movement. You want to know what's going on? The very thing God promised centuries before. It's happening now. And that promise is what motivated David, and that's what should motivate you. For it was not David who ascended into heaven. Don't put your hopes into that guy. He didn't ascend into heaven. But look what he said. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter says, you think David's all great? If David's here, Jesus is way up here. David died. And he's still there. Jesus died. And rose again. And now sits at the right hand of God. Position of power and authority accomplishing all that he has promised. I love how Peter finishes it. It says here, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, for certain, that term certain, means to be beyond dispute, certified as believable, something that you can truly place the security of your life and eternity in. Peter said, man, you can take this to the bank. As everyone's asking, what's going on? Peter said, here's what's going on. That promise that God made centuries before, he completed in Christ. And now look, he said, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord and Christ, that term Lord used to describe the master over all things. Like Jesus is the master of all things, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, the creator of all things. He is in charge. He has everything in his hand. Nothing happens outside of his allowance and his authority. You want to know what's going on? This is all Jesus' plan. He's Lord. He's the master and the sustainer of all things, but not just that. He's also the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited champion of God, the heir of all creation. He is not only the master of all things, but the savior of all things. Peter says, you want to know what's happening? What would you expect would happen when God poured forth his spirit and walked among us like Jesus did? Now imagine what would happen if the fullness of God came and lived in 120 people who walked like David walked. Even though they're in a valley of the shadow of death, David didn't deny that. David didn't deny that there were valleys of the shadow of death. Sometimes life is hard. David says, when I go through those hard times, I'm good. So I know Jesus is there. I know God has a plan and the power to complete it and he's going to do it through Jesus. When it seems like our enemies are surrounding us, I'm having supper. I'm not freaking out. 
God's in charge. And then when it comes to my end of the life, I know I'm secure in the presence of God. I love how uh, the Apostle Paul, I believe, summarizes, restates and summarizes the, Pete, the sermon from Peter, the book of Philippians, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, just flip over a couple more books. I love this passage. Paul kind of summarizes this whole promise and purpose and plan of God and how it's fulfilled through Jesus. He states it from another, uh, another perspective. He says this, Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5 says, have this attitude in yourselves, which also is in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul says, have that attitude in you. Jesus is the model. He's the example. I mean, he submitted himself to the plan of God. Even to the point of death, death on the cross. Why? Paul answers it in the next verse. He says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him. Jesus humbled himself. God exalted him and bestowed on him, gave him the name which is above every name. Why? so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Look at this. Of those who are on heaven and on earth and under the earth, there is no one left, folks. Everyone will recognize and bow to the authority of God, either in submission or rebellion, but make no mistake. They will bow and recognize the authority of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Verse 11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As the power of God descends on the earth, fills his people, the world goes bananas, the area goes crazy. People are wondering, what's happening? What's going on? And Peter's like, what do you expect would happen? When the God of all creation descends and fills 120 people to follow the model of Christ and be his witnesses around the globe. What do you think would happen? Peter says, y'all need to remember what God's about. You need to remember that he completed it in Christ. He completed all of it through Jesus. And why should that matter to us? Paul says, we need to be that same person. We need to have that same attitude. And David got it. Peter got it. We're going to see through Acts a whole lot of other people got it. And it changed culture it transformed the known world and I love it people say oh no Brian but days are it's, it's the worst it's ever been through history nope it was crazier back here 
And Jesus took 120 people, filled them with his spirit, and didn't tell them, go form another political movement, go take over the world. No, he said, be my witnesses. Just tell people who I am. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I'm teaching you. And place it all in God's hands. I was thinking this week. I wonder if any of you are kind of wondering what's going on. What's happening? Why is there so much discord and disagreement? There's wars and rumors of wars and political disputes and divisions between ethnicities and cultures. Shoot, there's a division between churches today. Maybe it's time that us as Christians, we remember too. What's God's plan? That he's already completed it in Christ Jesus. He just wants to use us to help everyone else see it in preparation before he comes back. That's not judgment. That's mercy. God knows when he returns, judgment's going to happen. God says, so I've empowered my people to go and make everybody aware that I'm returning before it's too late. Maybe it's time for you to remember the promise of God if you're looking down the future, worried about the hurdles that are ahead. Maybe you're in the midst of one of those valleys of the shadow of death. Maybe you feel surrounded by your enemies. Maybe it's time to remember the promise of God. Maybe you're here and you feel insignificant, that God can't use you. Maybe you feel like you're too broken, too lost. You've already passed up your chance. Too much stuff's happened to you. You can't be redeemed. You can't be restored. I tell you, it's already been accomplished through Christ. Peter took, or Jesus took just a bunch of knuckleheads and transformed them into the leaders of this movement. If God can do it with King David... And with Peter, he can do it with us. If we will simply submit our lives to him. Let's do it today. Let's pray. God, as a church, we come before you on this Mother's Day. God, confessing to you that we know you're in charge. God, many of us are here because we believe in your power. God, we've submitted our lives to you, but yet there are still these areas of our life that we try to control, we try to maintain on our own. We, somehow we have this belief that you can't save them, you can't change this, you can't do that. So God, for those people who are here, they're your people, they love you. 
I pray you open their eyes and allow them to see you as Peter did, as King David did. God, they might have confidence in your plan and your power to complete it. God, for people who are concerned about the future, God, I pray you give them a confidence, a faith in what you're doing. God, for those moms here today worried about their kids, their grandkids, their future kids, God, I pray you give them a peace that is beyond human comprehension as they entrust their dear ones into your hands. God, for those people here who have yet to see you as I do, who have yet to be reconciled with God, who are still dead in their trespasses, who are still buried in their brokenness, God, I pray you'll open their eyes and allow them to see you as I do. God, this moment I ask that you just hear their prayers as they confess their need for you, as they ask for a fresh start, a new beginning. Jesus, will you do as you promised? Will you hear them and forgive them, cleanse them of all of their brokenness, declare them righteous and a new creation in your power? And then, Jesus, may you fill them with your spirit, your power, even today. God, that they would have that peace that is beyond comprehension, that joy that is overflowing. God, may you lead them in the paths of righteousness. May you empower them with boldness. God, may you give them faith. in who they are because of you. God, wherever we came, however we came today, God, will you help us to remember who you are and who you have allowed us to be and empowered us to be as a result. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.